Welcome, everybody, to episode four of season five of the Northern Spin podcast. I'm Michael Taylor. By day, I'm the editor of Business Desk here in the Northwest. As always, I'm joined in the pod by my happy, clappy co-presenter, Chris McGuire. Hello, Michael. Um, now, this show is brought in association with FI Real Estate Management and our new sponsor, Assets Capital. We're going to find out more about those two later. We've got a packed show. Rishi Sunak has left us in no doubt that the country is now on an election footing with his dramatic YouTube turn on the Tories Green Pledges. We'll be talking about that, but what else have we got in store? Well, we're recording this on Monday and Andy Burnham's revolutionary B-Network public bus system is now 24 hours old, so we'll be seeing how that's going. Continuing the transport theme, the big stories um, and all the news outlets over the weekend and indeed on our newsletters this morning were the row over reports that the government is scaling back on HS2 by ditching the planned link from Birmingham to Manchester. It's a story that isn't going away. We're also going to talk about the decision to award Avanti West Coast a new nine-year contract to operate the West Coast Main Line. Listeners as well. Chris, what else have we got? Well, you know, they love an impression from you, Michael, because you are the impressionist among us. And uh, we're going to hear your best Logan Roy impression as we discuss the decision by Rupert Murdoch to stand down as the chairman of Fox News and News Corp. So, Michael, how would uh, Logan, how, what would sort of Logan Roy say? Well, I'd like to give the Logan Roy uh, rebuttal, which you can get many reels on uh, on social media of him saying uh, two words, the first of which is uh, banned on this podcast, yeah. and the second one is off. Off, okay. Which he does in a particular way. But there's a great quote from Logan Roy, which I will do. If your hands are clean, it's only because your whorehouse also does manicures. <laughs> I'm going to start watching. I don't know if that's any good, actually. I'm going to start watching Succession. You do? I can't believe you haven't watched it. It's no. shocking. No, we've got some thank yous ambition. as well. We've got some thank yous. Yeah. Yeah, before we do all that, a few thank yous, starting with our producers, What Media, who expertly pro- produce this podcast every single week, the unsung heroes of the Northern Spin podcast, the kings of video content creation. Every week, they turn these ramblings into the hit weekly podcast that is Northern Spin. Yeah, we got up to number 21 in the Apple podcast charts this week, but we had a big surge in Denmark. Again, I honestly, I don't know. If you are a listener of the Northern Spin in Denmark, please let us know. Um, yeah, what media go above and beyond? I'd also like to thank our headline sponsors, FI Real Estate Management. FI Real Estate Management is headquartered in Chorley, but has a network of properties across the UK and tenants can tap into those properties. They can cater for everyone from a one-man band working from home and needing space to enterprise customers wanting a whole building. They don't just work in one sector they work across the office commercial and industrial markets last week i had the good fortune of hosting a logistics event at the head office in botany bay where they're currently building a hundred million pound business park and everyone in the room was super excited by the scale of the project fi real estate management pride themselves on growing with their customers on their journey so if you need space contact fi real estate management Okay, Chris, thanks very much for that. So let's talk about, first of all, Rishi Sunak's decision to rip up the government's net zero commitments. Give us a quick recap. Yeah, going to keep it short and sweet. A five-year delay on the ban of the sale of new petrol and diesel cars. They're supposed to be starting in 2030, now going to be 2035. A nine-year delay in the ban on new fossil fuel heating for off-gas grid homes to 2035. The government has also ruled out households needing seven rubbish and recycling bins and a meat tax. If I'm honest, though, I don't think there were ever really policies in the first place. No, they weren't. I'm very aware that we don't speak for everyone. So uh, you did a poll on social media. I think we ought to mention these are a poll of the people that follow you, right? Yeah, yeah, that's so a good point. So all your tech bro mates from Chorley yeah. and stuff like that, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But what did people think about yeah, so Sunak's, I asked them, Sunak's U-turn? I asked them a question. Do you support Sunak's uh, U-turn on the green policies or don't you? Of the 367 people who responded across LinkedIn and Twitter, still refuse to use the term X, um, 69% opposed Sunak's announcement and 31%, which is more than I thought, supported it. So what do you think? I think you've got lots of mates who are a bit deluded. <laughs> anyway, I, I think this is not about the policy. It's not about... Um, the priorities of the government and the resources available. I think it's 100% about the politics. Sunak has demonstrated, I think, that last week, Keir Starmer called him inaction man, right? And I said at the time, I don't like that those jibes. I don't like um, Captain Hindsight and all of that stuff. I think it demeans politics and de demeans debate in public life. But anyway, I think it really, really clearly hurt Sunak. And just as... so. So, and I think that was what was behind it. The other thing that he announced, well, he didn't announce, the other thing that leaked out over the weekend was potentially making moves towards scrapping inheritance tax, which is another one of those policies that the base of the Tory party really like. And bear in mind, it's his conference in a week's time. You know, he's building up, leaking these announcements. I don't think he's got any rabbits left in the hat. He seems to have, uh, to, to have released them all already. He's picking taxes and laws that people think they don't like and he says that he's against them. So make no mistake, this is a calculated gamble that environmental policies are a culture war issue. I didn't like his speech. I thought it was leaden. It was delivered in that irritating one-paced tone that he delivers everything in. Personally, I think he's taken the British people for fools, making up policies like, as you said, Chris, the seven bins thing, and that we're going to stand up against people who want to restrict you going on holiday, I think it, and the meat taxes, it's just pandering to ill-informed idiots on Facebook groups in the base of the Tory party. It's a big nod and a wink to idiots like Lee 30P Anderson. On all of these so-called wedge issues, he's painted himself as a champion of ordinary, decent people and daring Labour to commit to these measures. That's what I think. What about you? <laughs> well, sorry to disappoint our growing listenership because I'm going to agree with you. Um, I think Rishi Sunak... always end up agreeing with I think Rishi Sunak's painting himself out as being a man who's not afraid to make big decisions, but as big decisions are, we're not going to do stuff. That, that to me, isn't a big yeah. decision. Yeah. Um, this is 100% about politics rather than net zero. The Tories realised that when they won the Uxbridge by-election um, because of the public's unhappiness over ULAS, the uh, ultra-low emission zone, that they decided, hang on a minute, we've got something we can win an election here, so they weaponised the whole net zero debate. Sunak realises he's got a maximum of a year there's some speculation that the election will be next May um, and there's no he's got no chance of winning the next general election you know, if he's seen as this cashmere jumper wearing Rishi Sunak so that just won't cut it with the electorate so he suddenly decides he wants to start manufacturing around he wants to be seen as being somebody who's not afraid to make these big decisions what I will say as regards to the green uh, climb down there were some aspects of it that actually I think a lot of people would agree with you know because my wife's got a electric car I know other people talk about anxiety range and that the infrastructure is just not in place but what he's tried to do is conflated it by creating this huge row and making himself out to be this um, person who's representing middle England and uh, is aware of the uh, you know the sort of financial crisis that people face well, and you, I think you know, people you, see through it well you know who else is in agreement with him is Donald Trump who said Sunak is a smart guy for standing against the green hoax. I mean, mm. that's that's when you realise the territory that Sunak is going into. That is the time bomb that he's playing with, is pandering to the um, to the sort of people who believe Donald Trump. 
Did you listen to Nick Robinson's interview on BBC Today? He absolutely dismantled Sunak. Absolutely destroyed him. Yeah. I mean, I think Rishi Sunak did as good a case as he could of putting his side of the story forward. You compare him, and he was articulate, compared to Liz Truss, who just would have floundered even more than Rishi Sunak did. But in fairness to Nick Robinson, he was having none of it. He said that you created this row. He said, where was a policy to have seven bins? There was no policy, Mr. Prime Minister. Where was a policy to have tax on meat? There was no policy. And Nick Robinson said, it's all about politics. You're making a series of claims that aren't true. And I just thought to myself then, I thought, you know what? It's about time somebody from the BBC stood up to the Prime Minister and Prime Ministers and started asking questions. Yeah, no, it was very good. Um, I thought Krishnan Gurumurthy did a really good job as well on another Tory minister. And um, he was absolutely floundering. He was completely unable to defend the indefensible. Um, I've always said this, though, haven't I, consistently? Sunak is terrible at politics. He's going to have absolutely nothing left on his big signature speech. Too many people in the in, who work behind the scenes in politics are obsessed with a TV series called The West Wing. And there was a key line in that, which is, let Bartlett be Bartlett. It's about an American president played by Martin Sheen called Josiah Bartlett. Um, you know, let the politician be true to his own instincts and himself. And this is what they're spinning, is that what Sunak wants to be. Look at the inheritance tax issue as well, which they leaked out over the weekend. A tax that only 4% of people pay. So how do you think Sunak's going to respond when Nick Robinson or Sophie Ridge or Victoria Derbyshire or whoever else pins him down and says, Prime Minister, how much will your children benefit from this cut to inheritance tax? And by the way, £290 million, in case you're asking. So I think we can expect to see lots more announcements like this from Sunak. Where, where, where else do you think he might be going well, politically? I want, to, I want to come back with that, but I just want to mention one thing as well, and which is that I think Labour have got to have a position fairly soon because they keep getting asked. Every time the Conservatives say, we're not going to do it, people turn around to Labour and say, will you do it? Darren Jones, Labour's rising star, was interviewed, and he was floundering. So I think Labour have got to work out a position. Um, I think the big thing, we just mentioned it earlier, is that... Um, high speed too. you know over the weekend as well it emerged a task force to speed up home insulation and boiler upgrades called the National Infrastructure Commission has been abolished by Rishi Sunak there's talk of abolishing A-levels and replacing them with a baccalaureate clearly Rishi Sunak wants to be seen as to get in some policies that hopefully will interest voters the one that interests us all is high speed too. now it's a Tory party conference next week I walk past Manchester Central and all the security is going up this morning it's, it's amazing really and I think the Conservative silence over high speed 2 has been deafening over the weekend there was an open letter written by the likes of Brentwood Manchester Airport ex-Seaman CEO Jürgen Meyer who's been very vocal on this Gary Noble of course they signed an open letter criticising plans to abolish high speed 2 between Birmingham and Manchester Boris Johnson I don't think most of us give much weight to and David Cameron have also raised concerns as well clearly they are you know, lay in the path, lay in the ground, roll in the ground is the expression they use a lot. And I'm a big cricket fan, you know, that they're going to be some sort of big announcement. There is a suggestion that they've been so, you know, perplexed by the level of anger that they might roll back on it themselves. But we're going to get an announcement this week before the party conference, almost certainly that they're going to do away with this uh, link between Birmingham and Manchester. And what a message that sends out in the week that you come into Manchester. Yeah, it's a terrible, absolutely terrible message to send out. And I know 
that Conservative supporters are looking to try to paint Labour as the party that's going to cost you money, that Labour are going to make you get rid of your boiler, Labour are going to make you sell your car, Labour are going to make you pay all these extra taxes, even if it's actually not going to affect most people. You can definitely see where the Tory strategists are pushing this debate, that uh, they realise that um, that the Sunak brand isn't working that people don't trust him. But I think it's, again, another example of terrible, terrible politics that um, they're doing all of this in the week before their conference, literally in Manchester. It's worth mentioning, I'll put you on the spot now, of course, is that the way normally what would happen, the Labour conference would take place before the Conservative conference. Now you've got a situation where because of bookings, uh, there's an issue over diaries. You've got the Conservatives next week, and then you've got Labour in Liverpool the following week as well. Now, the question is going to be to Labour, what would you commit to spending? Labour, Rachel Reeves was on the radio last week. She wants to be seen as being the future Chancellor who's going to be fiscally savvy yeah. and isn't going to throw money at stuff, which has always been the accusation thrown at Labour. Yeah. Labour have got to have a position in terms of what would you commit to? What would Labour commit to? Well, they've said they'll, uh, they'll, they'll stick to present spending limits and they're not going to increase any extra taxes. They don't want to frighten the horses. They're going into an election where they don't know what the state of the public finances are going to be like. Uh, it is actually national policy to commit to building HS2. It was something that David Cameron and Boris Johnson were fully committed to. So I think um, sort of holding the line on that's going to be quite important. But you're right. You know, it is attempting to paint Labour into a corner and say you're going to cost the country more while we're making sensible decisions. I think it's it's making a terrible, terrible signal that Britain isn't a serious country anymore. And that if you want to do infrastructure projects here, whether it be building a new railway line, uh, an airport, a nuclear power station, then actually the government doesn't necessarily have your back. Or even, you know, EV charging infrastructure, which presumably they should be going around the world looking for people to invest and, and support. Um, support efforts to build that. I went to Leeds yesterday, um, Sunday. Yeah, no, awesome it was great. It was great. And But I go into Leeds and, you know, anyone who knows, I think it's the 621 that you come off the M62 and you go past Ellen Road and turn left towards the prison. I wasn't visiting anyone in the prison. Those roadworks have been there for two or three years. You know, they haven't changed. You know, so we do infrastructure really, really poorly. I'm going to move the conversation on, but going to stick to transport. There was an announcement last week that the, uh, that the under a train operator, Avanti West Coast, has been granted a nine-year contract to run the West Coast Main Line. I thought this was like a football score, probably Sheffield United versus Newcastle, you know, Oof. underlined nine, which connects, so the Avanti West Coast, the West Coast Main Line connects the northwest with London. Nine years was a big, chunky contract. What was your take on that? Yeah, I think a lot of us have got very short memories about this one. Um, I couldn't believe that actually the uh, that they'd taken this decision. Six months ago, Andy Burnham and others were calling for Avanti West Coast to be absolutely um, stripped of their license because of poor performance issues. I completely agree with the trade union leader, Mick Lynch, who said Avanti West Coast and Cross Country, who are also getting their license renewed, were being rewarded for failure. And he said by granting companies like Avanti and Cross Country with lucrative taxpayer funded contracts, the government is rewarding abject failure because it doesn't want to have to pass on public control of the railways. It's another issue where actually it wants Labour to be in a position where they want you know, Labour ideally wanted the contracts to run down and take them back into public ownership, which is 
you know, where the railway system should be, frankly. I think the core public opinion as regards to Avante is still very much out. The general opinion seems to be that their services have improved, but they were coming from such a low baseline, anything would have been an improvement. Apparently, more than 90% of trains now arrive within 15 minutes of their scheduled time. I mean, why? What an awful claim to fame that 90% of trains are only 15 minutes late, uh, which compares to 75% in December 2022. I think the public is less than enthusiastic about this. And the, uh, I mean, I suppose the watchword will be what happens next. Um, I'm going to move on. Okay, so here's a question for you, because I know you like your questions. What did the journalist Helena Vesti buy the first ever of on Sunday morning at 4.33 a.m.? I think I know what the answer is. Go here. on, tell me. I think she bought the first ever ticket on Greater Manchester's B Network. Absolutely, absolutely. And she posted it on Twitter and got loads of uh, got loads of engagement with it. Is right. So Manchester B Network has been described as the biggest shakeup of bus services in the north of England. She's a journalist at the MEN. She was out there with Andy Burnham as well. She got that ticket. Actually, if you look at the picture that she posted on Twitter, it looks all crumpled. So it looks like she crumpled it up and then realised, hang on a minute, <laughs> this might be worth a few quid in a few years. And um, Andy Burnham came on this podcast the most listened to podcast we've ever done and said that uh, explain why he's invested so much of his own political stock in the B network. Just explain why is it so important? Yeah, well, Sir Richard Lease, the leader of Manchester City Council, as was the architect of much of Greater Manchester's devolution, always used to argue that having a mayor was the price worth paying for be being able to run the bus service. And he used to remind Andy Burnham of that quite a lot, apparently. Anyway, here it is. Passenger numbers on buses across the north have been in decline for years. Local leaders have been forced to hand over taxpayers' money to keep buses on the road. Andy Burnham thinks B network is the solution. It's also a single livery, which is quite significant. You know, like, you know, you think of London, you think red buses. In Manchester, they're all going to be yellow and black, as in, you know, bees. See what they did there. Uh, they're rolling this out, starting with Bolton, Wigan, and parts of Salford and Bury. And there'll be more buses. They're saying they're going to be running earlier in the morning and later at night. Uh, they're also going to be more secure safer because one of the reasons people don't like going on buses is because they don't feel safe uh, and also fares have been capped at two quid and that's at least until next September but the big big challenge is to get more people using the buses because ultimately it's going to start costing councils money if um the mayor turns around to them all and says, oh, there's a bit of a shortfall in funding for our bus network can you all stump up an extra 30 million quid each Maybe they won't be able to. I looked across the, uh, before we came in today, uh, Sky News had interviewed Andy Burnham uh, at the launch. And, you know, he's got wide scale blanket coverage. The Guardian clearly love it. But uh, the BBC, everybody else is, uh, you know, covering it today. So clearly it's getting a lot of airtime, which is great. It's what Andy Burnham wanted. The real, the real acid test will be a week, a month, a year from now. This is all about trying to get an integrated transport system like London. But I think it's a real bellwether. Um, you know, because if this works, this will represent a huge boost for devolution. And I think Andy Burnham could quite proudly hang his hat on it. And actually, I think Labour would as well. Uh, that's why it's so pivotal. Right. So I, uh, and I always, I always say to you, Chris, let's focus on giving some insights. Yeah. Let's not lapse into anecdote. But I'm yeah. going to ask you something because you are a motorist. I am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can imagine you with your leather gloves on yeah, driving yeah. your, uh, yeah. your Lexus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what would get you to take a bus or use public transport? I do. I'm an avid user of public transport. I can't abide driving. I only do so when I absolutely have to. And I live in the in the suburbs. Yeah, no, I think it's a fair point because I've barely gone on the trains. The reason I don't 
go on the trains for and public transport generally is they're unreliable I find them unreliable my wife goes into Manchester she does use public transport she doesn't like driving into Manchester and the number of times she phones me up and said oh the train's been cancelled with no warning and the following train's been cancelled with no warning I host events I have meetings with people I want reliability I think if you had reliability and you had a decent service I think I probably would use it and I speak to friends of mine in London and they have a choice of going from the central London to Croydon they can go on an overland train they can go on an underground or they can go on a uh, a bus and they know that they'll get there in time for their meeting I think this will be the real key if you can give me reliability I think I would be minded to use it also it's got to be affordable I mean I, I drive into Manchester today it'll cost me 10-12 quid I'll park it'll cost me 15 quid to park because I'm going to be in Manchester most of the day now clearly that's a £30 cost to me if I could get a train or I could get a bus and it's costing me 6 quid it'd be a no brainer but reliability is the yeah. key Fair enough, fair enough. Good insight, Chris. Good insight into my and, life. And good anecdote, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's go to the break with a word about our new sponsor, Assets Capital. Assets Capital is a leading Manchester-based independent specialist lender who, for the last 10 years, have supported UK SME, house builders, property investors and business owners to achieve their ambitions. Having lent over £1.7 to date and with ambitious growth plans, assets are well on their way to breaking through the £2 of lending as they embark on the next phase of their journey. They have a dedicated team of property professionals and lending specialists who pride themselves on getting to know their customers and being with them on every step of the journey. If you need a straightforward, no-nonsense lending partner with a proven track record, contact Andrew Charnley and the team at Assets Capital. Big enough to matter, small enough to care. Welcome back to part two of Northern Spin. This is the bit we like to call anything to see here. What are we starting with? Well, I was shocked this week. I say I was shocked um, last week. Uh, you, Rupert you weren't Murdoch, shocked at all, were you? No, I wasn't shocked at all. Uh, Rupert Murdoch's decision to step down as a chairman of Fox News and News Corp at the tender age of 92. You know, his mother lived until she was about 105 or something, so he still thinks he's got another 10 years to go. Of course, Murdoch inspired your hero, Logan Roy, in the show Succession, which I do plan. Why do you call him my hero? Well, because you like Logan Roy. I'll tell you why, because... No, I like, we... I like the TV series Succession. The whole point... You haven't seen Succession, so you don't know this. The whole point about the series is all the characters are absolutely abhorrent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. no sympathy. You can have no sympathy for any of them. But you like Logan Roy, let's be honest. No, he's a well-written character. I don't like him as a person. I, I'd, I'd probably deplore him just as I deplore Rupert Murdoch. Now, um, anyway, we're getting bogged down. We now. are, we are getting bogged down, but I do plan petty to watch bicker, it. Petty um, bickering. Yeah. Murdoch's influence on British politics cannot be underestimated. News Corp's assets include The Sun, The Times, The Wall Street Journal, while Fox Corp also owns the Fox Broadcast Network as well. He is without doubt one of the world's most powerful media tycoons, certainly in our lifetime as well. How significant is Murdoch's decision? Well, as you say, he's 92, right? Um, what do you think his impact's been on UK media, his most significant impact, do you think? Well, I don't think it's a, a positive influence. I don't think at all. Um, what I would say is that he's got his tentacles into everything. And um, certainly politicians 
haven't uh, underestimated him at all. In fact, if we go back as long ago as 1995, Tony Blair, when he was trying to become the next Prime Minister, flew for one day uh, to Australia to see Murdoch, along with uh, Alastair Campbell as well. And he flew back the following day. You know, he has been courting politicians for years and years and years. Everything that's wrong with the media has in some way can be drawn back to Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. And uh, that's what, so, so I don't, I don't miss him and I don't think he's going away incidentally. He's going to have his, uh, he's going to have his hands over, you know, this empire for years to come. Um, yeah. So I think he's had a, a pernicious and destructive and poisonous influence on British public life. The way he really aggressively uh, took on the print unions um, in a confrontational way without any kind of compromise was brutal. I think the way he dictated policy, both to Margaret Thatcher and then John Major, and then ultimately the way he felt that he could anoint a prime minister, the, the savage way in which the son has consistently debased public life and pushed on effectively pornography in, into the breakfast tables of our nation when the sun was the best read newspaper. No, I think his, his influence has been terrible. But he also had the courage to almost bankrupt the entire company in order to promote satellite television and open up the TV market. We would not have, we not have the situation we have now without his bravery, in, in, particularly in bidding for uh, Premier League football rights. That changed football forever. Some people think he invented <laughs> football as we know it in 1992. I don't. I think, you know, there was a lot that went on before, but it also promoted this whole issue of greed that we've now got. But you can't deny that the Premier League is the biggest international football brand in the world. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, uh, I, but he's not as popular as he once was. As we know, the print media has far less influence than it did back in the days, as you said, when Tony Blair flew to Fraser Island to speak to News Corp executives. And, and then the Sun rather famously backed Blair in 97 in the way that they put Neil Kinnock's head in a light bulb in 1992, leading Kelvin McKenzie, the editor of the Sun at the time, to say it was the Sun what won it when they won the election. Also, his media empire isn't as powerful as he once was. He sold off 20th Century Fox Film Studios. And of course, he sold off Sky TV now as well. What's left, is, of course, are like the newspapers across the US, a network of TV stations, Fox News, which is horrible, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, here's the interesting thing, though, Chris. I was reading Andrew Neal, his former uh, the, the editor of the Sunday Times and the uh, MD of Sky when it launched in the late 80s. He made a really good point. Lachlan Murdoch, his anointed son, is far less of an Anglophile. And I think while dad's still alive, he's unlikely to sell the Times and the Sun, but his sense is that News Corp eventually will. Yeah, one of the, the worst things about this week was um, <clears throat> the announcement that we had to listen to Kelvin McKenzie Ugh. on the radio as well, who really? I just, this is a guy who's Yeah, not forgetting Hillsborough. No, absolutely. He's absolutely abhorrent. And he was reflecting on his stories about um, about Rupert Murdoch. And uh, yeah, it just meant that we had to uh, listen to his uh, dullard views. Um, but we're yep. going to move on from that. We are, Chris. We've had some criticism about our comments last week about Baroness Charlotte Owen of Alderley Edge, who was appointed to the House of Lords by Boris Johnson at the tender age of 29. You've been contacted by a listener who doesn't want to be named, but is high profile. What did they say? Yeah. What, um, what, did, what did we say that was wrong? I think it's really important. 
that when we say something, if somebody wants to challenge us, they can challenge us. And then we'll have a debate about that and uh, we'll agree the merits or otherwise of it. So this person I've got huge respect for, uh, a bit good friend of his actually, he said, just listen to your podcast. Very good. But I'm slightly troubled by the Charlotte Owen section. Who is the next youngest Lord created? Question mark. I think you will find Boris today, 21 year old guy. Not much difference. You don't interview. 31, wasn't it? 31. Did I say 21? Sorry. So I think you will find Boris did a 31 year old guy. Uh, not much difference. You don't interview or have qualifications for the Lords. So her experience, quote unquote, is sort of irrelevant. Also, my understanding is that she played the role of eyes and ears to see which MPs were onside or offside when, with Boris during the pandemic. So quite an important role. Anything to see here? Uh, no, not really. I, with respect to your, your, your friend, tech bro from Chorley, presumably. Yeah. Um, I think we looked at her peerage because she's from Audley Edge in the north. Uh, we didn't single her out over and above anyone else in particular. She was the youngest, so I think it's fair to look at that. I think the Tortoise podcast that we were also reviewing really fairly did, didn't find anybody who could describe with any degree of accuracy what she had actually contributed towards the machinery of government during her time in Boris Johnson's office. And I think we concluded that actually it wasn't about her, but it was about Boris Johnson cocking a snoop towards the whole system, wasn't it? Is that? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Am I being a little bit prickly and defensive? No, not at all, not at all. Um, I think, because um, I listened back to it to listen back to what we said and the issue with Charlotte Owen is there's no transparency about what she did to get an honour or moreover what she's done since. I don't think that Sean Bailey um, should have been uh, given an honour. I don't think Blocker Ben Houchin has gone very quiet, should have been given an honour. Uh, and I don't think most of those cheerleader MPs who were, uh, you know, banging the drum for Boris Johnson, they should have got an honour as well. The 31-year-old she mentioned, I'm pretty sure must be Ross Kempsell, the former political director of the Conservative Party and a director of the Conservative Research Department. I don't think he should have got an honour at 31, but he did do more than Charlotte Owen. And I think that was the point we're making, but I respect your view. But I disagree with it. Yeah. So where are we going next, Chris? Well, I want to talk about uh, Conservative MP Deanna Davison. She's resigned as the levelling up minister, saying that chronic migraines have made it impossible to do her job. I thought that was really uh, quite a big statement she made. Anything to see here? Yeah, I think it provides a real insight into the strain that people involved in politics can put themselves through. Yeah, I mean, it's worth reminding people that she's um, she became an MP in 2019. That's And she's seen as very much a rising star. She won the Labour stronghold of Bishop Auckland in County Durham. She said she's not going to stand at the next general election. She wants to devote more time to her family. She is highly rated. My wife and my mum both suffer from migraines and they're debilitating. And I noticed this morning when I was looking on uh, Twitter that uh, the leader of Manchester City Council, Bev Craig, she also has spoken about her life, her early life being blighted by migraines as well. Um, going to go from the University of Manchester City Council to the University of Bolton. Now, Michael, given your extensive university background, what do you think of the news that the University of Bolton has started a consultation to potentially change its name to the University of Greater Manchester? Yeah, what a strange story this is. So Salford University tinkered with the idea of introducing Manchester into their brand and their name a while back. Bolton is what's called a post-92 university. That is, until 1992, it was known as the Bolton Institute. Now, I've done stories about Bolton University recently, 
and they don't come out of them particularly well. It was the first university to be given a negative mark for its teaching quality by the Office of for Students, which is its regulator. It's not one of these flimsy surveys that lots of media and uh, educational institutes do of the university sector. They didn't even respond to a request for comment because their inquiries inbox was full and they couldn't accept any more. And I couldn't find anywhere uh, an email address for, to contact the press office for comment. They put out press releases when they do well in things like the Guardian survey and, and student satisfaction surveys, which universities can very actively encourage their students to fill them in and offer incentives, but not when they come 124th out of 125 for student outcomes or research excellence, which they have done. I think it may be more to do with the fact that the university's vice chancellor wants to promote the university overseas. They've got strong links to one of the Emirates in the United Arab Emirates, links in China, Germany, Greece, Malawi, Malaysia, Singapore, and they've opened a university center in Sri Lanka. Now, I haven't met Vice Chancellor Professor George Holmes, but he has a reputation as being a bit of an attention seeker. You've met him. Go on, give us some insights. What's he like? Yeah, I mean, obviously, and he wants to uh, rub shoulders with the uh, the great and the good of the Northwest uh, business scene. Now, on a serious note, uh, Holmes is a pragmatist. He's got a nice office. I'll give him that. He's featured a lot stories about his remuneration package. Last time I checked, it was north of £300,000. I mean, he recognises that the name Manchester has more pulling power with respect than Bolton does. And actually, this might not sound like an important issue, but but the fact that Bolton aren't in the Premier League has a big impact on the football club, which incidentally, the university um, did sponsor the, the ground at the football club for a while yeah, as well. Yeah, they did. So I did an event last week with, um, <clears throat> with Sarah from the UA92. Sarah uh, Prowse? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, the chief executive of Gary Neville's disruptive Challenger University. It's quite small by comparison, even to Bolton or MMU or the University of Manchester or or any other university you could care to name in the north of England. Um, but it's amazing, isn't it, to think that the Tories used to champion uh, disruptive universities into the sector, and now all their policy and all their rhetoric seems to be on clamping down on, um, on, on worthless degrees and Mickey Mouse courses and basically attacking the, the, the university sector just as they always, just as they clearly are doing on issues like net zero. It's all a bit of a gimmick to try to pander to people like Lee Anderson. What, um, Lee Anderson. Comes what, up again. Absolutely. What, what this is, what the you know, University of Bolton is clearly aiming to do is they're trying to attract more um, students from overseas. You mentioned it earlier, international students. And when I went to Leeds yesterday and I was walking around Leeds, the number, I mean, the number of high rise blocks of flats for students, 719 executive exclusive apartments, which cost £300 a week a week, you know, these are aimed at international students 100%. Um, going to move on, going to talk about uh, your mate Keir Starmer going back on his Brexit promise. Uh, we've heard that line before. Now, Starmer was in Canada the week before last. He spoke about not wanting to, quote, diverge from the EU. I listened to that interview about three times. What I found quite interesting is that interview was streamed live and then Sky News said, we've got an exclusive, an exclusive. Keir, uh, Keir Starmer says that Labour are going to, you know, you're going to get back into bed with the EU. Yeah. Anything to see here? 
That Sky News, their strap line used to be never wrong for long because yeah. they could always <laughs> correct it pretty much straight away. No, I hope Keir Starmer does stick to uh, labour market regulations that have been consistent in this country, that have moved on a progressive arc towards giving people basic rights at work, that they're not going to diverge from that. However much the Daily Mail likes to try to portray this as being... Um, a, a departure from true Brexit. Mm, no, I agree. They can't, they can't, oh, no, I think the thing oh. is, is that you know, is that we need a closer relationship with the EU moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's becoming it's like populists, and it's about suggesting that Keir Starmer wants to uh, get back into bed with the EU um, on manoeuvres. This is the section when we identify people who we think are uh, on manoeuvres. Who have you got first on the list today? Well, let's look at the Lib Dems. Remember them. I know that name, Lib <laughs> yeah, Dems. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's their conference in Bournemouth this week. So let's have a look at their leader, Ed Davey. He's making a pitch to make sure that this deep loathing across the country into the Tories will be the start of the rebirth of his party at the next election. He's clearly not ruling out being in a coalition with Labour. Yeah, and I want to moonwalk some, but yeah. uh, anyway. But I think that is unlikely. But what about what are the what the what about? What are the Lib Dems all about? What's their offer? The net zero route gives them a chance, particularly with uh, wealthy middle-class, socially liberal voters in the south of England, the chance to burnish those credentials, which might be things like, the latest policy I heard over the weekend is attacks on fast fashion, which isn't the most terrible idea I've ever heard anyone come out with. That um, They realise as well that they've got about let's say they've got 60 target seats. Mm. They're realistic. They're not going to, he's not going to say what Joe Swinson said before the 2019 election, which was, we, I could be the next prime minister of this country, which was ridiculous. Mm. And it was proved to be ridiculous because, mm. you know, people weren't prepared to vote Liberal Democrat because they thought they'd get a Labour government. Such was the bogeyman that was Jeremy Corbyn at the time as leader of the Labour Party. Um, it's different now. I think they're going to appeal to Tory voters in the South. They're going to go for seats like Michael Gove's in Surrey, Jeremy Hunt's seat as well, a Dominic Raab's seat. If, oh, he's not standing again, is he? No, he's in, not. He's sure. No, 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 in no. But anyway, but they are going for some quite high profile targets in the Southeast and Southwest, as well as some of the more prosperous areas of the Northwest, like Cheadle, Hazelgrove and Southport. I noticed over the weekend, actually, Steve Coogan, the comedian, said that he would consider voting Lib Dems, even though he's to labour to his core, because of tactical voting. And I think you're going to see a lot more yeah. tactical voting. So um, under, under this system of, 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 of first past the post, they do it. the Lib Dems do want to encourage people to vote tactically where they're in a position to unseat the Tory. The thing, if they then get what they want and they get into a coalition government and they have voting reform they're suddenly going to have to actually stand for something because people won't vote tactically, which is that what they would be a beneficiary of in the future. They'd vote for what they believe in. And my criticism of the Liberal Democrats has always been that they're all things to all people and it catches up with them eventually, like it did in 2015 when they got absolutely decimated. Yeah. The thing I want to ask you, why aren't you a Lib Dem? Well, it's funny because... I mean, like, you're, you're sensible, middle of the road, yeah, know, socially yeah. liberal. Um, oh, I don't know, maybe you're not. No, I, I think the Lib you Dems... You call yourself a small C conservative, but I think we've established in the, the numerous episodes yeah. of these podcasts that we've yeah. done over the years that you're no kind of Tory at all. I think the Lib Dems for a long period of time have been in any relevance. You know, I don't think they've got any real power and I'm not sure what they stand for. I mean, obviously, at the last general election, they stood for the party that wanted to get back in the EU, but that... 
that that's not going to happen. And and now they're squirming when they're asked about whether or not they want to get back in CEU. I mean that that vote's been cast, and we have to accept it, and we have to move on. I think I think they'll win more seats in the next general election, you know. But it'll just be a little more than the poke in the eye. And the, they've won four by elections, but the issue is that by elections are often seen as a protest vote. And when push comes to shove, how many people actually put their X in the Lib Dems? I'm not sure. I wouldn't, um, but I'm not sure where I'd put mine. Now, I want to throw another name at you for on manoeuvres. And this is an interesting one, actually. You'll tell me as always, you'll say, Chris, that doesn't fit in with the criteria. What makes on manoeuvres? Oh, that really hurts you, doesn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> not at all. But there's a name, Isaac Levido. Yeah. Now, he's a Tory strategist credited with um, helping Boris Johnson secure a landslide victory in 2019. He's now been credited with um, Rishi Sunak's change of approach evidenced by the green U-turn that we mentioned earlier. As a strategist, he wants to stay in the um, he wants to stay in the shadows, but he is growing in prominence. I think he's on manoeuvres. Yeah, clearly. Um, who else have we got? Well, I'm going to give you a name, two names, Beverly Turner and GB News. Now, that's, I know you're... That's Gammon Britain News. Yeah, I know it? you're a big fan of, uh, you know, GB News. I've now, never watched it. I never watched it myself either, other than little little snippets on uh, on Twitter. So GB News needs to generate publicity. That's what it does. That's its mantra. That's its stock. And I'll be honest, I didn't even know who Beverly Turner was and that she was a presenter uh, of the programme until she waded into the defence of Russell Brand because she, before she'd read the evidence. That, now, I didn't know if you watched it. but I, did uh, watch the, I, I didn't watch her clip. But no, Daily Mail I've, sorry, I've, I've seen this clip where yeah. Andrew Pearce has a go at her though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. yeah. Daily Mail journalist, you know, Tory boy, completely dismantles her on air. Then what she does, Beverly Turner, is she paints herself as a victim. This is classic on manoeuvres tactics. Ah, very good. Right. Anyway, time for a quick break. Business Cloud and Tech Blast combined business and tech. Last week, Tech Blast hosted its first ever Fuel Manster event to rave reviews. Fuel Manster is a two-part event starting with a business breakfast and finishing with a cohort of businesses coming face-to-face with some of the biggest names from the northern business sector. You could feel the excitement in the room. Tech Blast is your launch pad for growth. Welcome back to part three of Northern Spin. This is the fun bit, usually, but this week it's going to be a little bit more downbeat, isn't it, Chris? It is, Because we want to talk about the the death of the Sheffield United footballer, Maddie Cusack, at the age of 27, and the way her death has been hijacked by conspiracy theorists. How depressing. Yeah, it is. And it's, um, I think it's quite poignant, actually, uh, this, this section. So I've got a policy of not giving conspiracy theorists the oxygen of publicity. Um, but this one's got me quite angry, actually quite upset as well. So Maddie Cusack's a footballer with Sheffield United Women. She died last week at the age of 27. An absolute tragedy. Uh, there's a video doing the rounds on social media of her talking about having signed a new contract. She played over 100 games for Sheffield United. And she'd been there for six years. Now, her cause of death hasn't been revealed nobody knows um, so COVID-19 conspiracy theorists have filled the vacuum and created this narrative that it was caused in some way or other by the COVID-19 vaccine now one US based conspiracy theorist who who, who I'm not going to name has uh, peddled has peddled his hate on Twitter um, and it's absolutely disgusting other people have jumped on it other people have said quite rightly this is offensive you've got absolutely no basis no evidence at all and that somewhere in the middle people have lost sight and this is what these conspiracy theorists do they've lost sight of the fact that a 27 year old 
girl, young lady has died. Um, my daughter's 20. You know, she, she plays football to uh, tier three level. She, you know, uh, Maddie Cusack played in the championship, which is tier two. Um, you know, my daughter's football match the weekend was, was called off because a lot of the players from both sides knew Maddie Cusack. No Four no. out of six games in that division were called off because she knew players. Yeah. And yet there's, there's these people, these conspiracy theorists sitting there in their wife fronts, you know, with no life at all, peddling these conspiracy yeah. theorists and people want to jump on it. And I yeah. just thought it was wrong. Yeah. Well, well done, mate, for calling yeah. that out. It's you, absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. You've got, you've got something very different, but equally personal to you that you want to yeah. share. Last week was a real sad one for our family. We lost our companion, Martha, our faithful border terrier at 13 years old. Um, it's really surprised how sad we all are about a loss. It's it's been um, it's been really really distressing. Um, uh, you know, I could I could rant about the veterinary industry, and uh, uh, they're never missing an opportunity to either upsell you more services or get extra money out of you. But maybe that's for another day when I'm a little calmer about it all. Um, also significantly is me and my friend Neil Summers have finished our three-year run on Tameside Radio where we've done a show called Music Therapy. It's been a great experience. We've made lots of friends along the way. We've reached an audience all over the world. Um, but we won't be doing our show on Sunday nights anymore. No, I mean, it's probably an unfair question actually because it's probably still quite raw. But but will you and your wife Rachel get another dog? Yeah, maybe one day. Yeah, yeah. I've spoken to lots of people who've uh, who've lost who've lost dogs, and they're completely bereft. So I I generally I'm sorry to hear about your loss. Um, I'm going to move from that to something a little bit lighter. I we spoke last week's episode. I revealed that I was going to watch Barbie on my own at the cinema. I was a bit distressed about that. <laughs> actually, there's prospects of you going into a cinema. I, I actually on went. Your own. I actually went with my daughter. I encouraged her to go. I said that I couldn't be seen there because everyone's spoken about Barbie and said, Chris, you know, you've got to see Barbie. You've got to see Barbie. <laughs> um, it was actually better than I thought. I think Margot Robbie's a very good, uh, a very good actress. Oh, incredible. And a lot of people, have you, have you seen Barbie yet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I it's great. I don't want to give it away, but the last line has caused some debate as well. I don't know if you've got a view on that without giving away the last line. No, I'm not going to give away the last line, but I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a good film. I gave it a yeah. uh, Chris McGuire 7 out of 10. Yeah. Also mention um, a program I've been watching on the BBC, Laura Koonsberg's new TV program called The State of Chaos, which focuses on the turmoil surrounding the Tories in recent years. Quite enjoying it. The Tories, I find, are very, very good at taking part in documentaries like this, but they're not very good at running a country. <laughs> right. Um, got no more recommendations for you. I'm watching a Netflix series at the moment actually called Rough Diamonds which is really good set in Antwerp uh, and uh, anyway that's all therefore for episode 4 White Lotus five. White Lotus I just finished the second series of White oh. Lotus enjoying that one you that like was it? on Prime yeah very good very very good mm. yeah enjoyed that right now um, I'm trying to think what else I'm, I'm up well we're on holiday next week so um, we'll have We'll be back in two weeks' time. That's, right. That's all for episode four of season five of the Northern Spin podcast. If you want to sponsor us, get in touch. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, lots of other places. Don't forget to press the subscribe button. It all helps our numbers. Follow us on Twitter at Northern underscore Spin One or watch us on YouTube. Thank you to What Media for recording this podcast and to our sponsors, FI Real Estate Management and Assets Capital. Special mention to Elliot Taylor for providing the soundtrack, New Beginnings. My name is Michael Taylor. And as always, my name is Chris McGuire. <laughs> <laughs>